Hey art lover, it's Sophie here and unfortunately our Queen Seema is feeling a little too under the weather to record this week so we decided to re-release one of our favourite episodes about borders. And this is actually an interview episode with my super amazing sister who has worked as a human rights lawyer in Australia for many years. And she sits down and has a really incredible chat with us about policy, citizenship and how borders are a flexible concept but only for some people. This really truly is one of our collective favorites here at Artlust, and I really hope that if you're a new listener that you enjoy this episode from an old format, but my god, the information is great. Anyway, we'll be back next week and be sure to check out our Patreon, yada yada yada. You know the deal. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. We'll see you next week. Don't talk to me about- So many times. Shut up. If that's Hank when she Green... shares her screen with me. That's the first thing I say. I'm like, oh my god, that's so stressful. Uh, look, if Hank Green like... can do it, I, so can I. <laughs> it looks like our mother's computer. Shut up, <laughs> That's not fair. It's all right. My phone looks like that. I can't talk. There you go. I have okay. all kinds of crap. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the Artless Podcast, where we make art accessible. I'm Seema. And I'm Sophie. If you'd like to support the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts. We also have a Patreon for a dollar a month. You can go into our monthly raffle to win a studio visit with us, where we'll talk to you about your art, give you feedback, and some references to explore. And we love interacting with people. So if you do your Patreon, we will definitely, if you like us and would like to talk to us more, do Patreon one because we'll definitely interact with you. Um, And you can forcibly work your way into a community with us. You can pay your way. Oh, no. No, we won't. We won't hurt you. We'll be nice. Um, So, but we have another person today. We have a guest. We have an extra extra special guest it's my sister hello <laughs> so this is laura laura is my elder sister yes i'm elderly yeah we just we were actually just watching tiktoks of two old sisters <laughs> we were like that's gonna be us yeah for real. um so laura tell us a little bit about yourself well i am here visiting sophie in the states at the moment from australia where mm-hmm. um i live and work and play Sorry. <laughs> Such a dog. I am. Just relax. You do everything in Australia. Laura really is kind of a renaissance woman. Yeah. You're an artist. I am an artist. Um, I'm also a big nerd. I work in public policy. Uh, I'm also a lawyer Mm -hmm. and uh, worked for about five years as a refugee lawyer. Um, And yeah, I love art and all things art. Cool. What do you do in public policy? I provide advice to the Victorian government on criminal justice policy. Right on. What's the biggest city in Victoria? Melbourne. Yes. Melbourne. I know that. <laughs> As Americans, some of us. The, know. I know that thanks to Sophie. Though I was saying, uh, so you you know, like Sophie tells us me stories about Australia, often funny stories about animals, and my daughter um recently was telling. I heard her telling someone else. My mom's friend Sophie m- stories about animals makes me never want to go to Australia. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. Australia is really fucking bizarre in that like, you know, white Australians like no one understands where we come from and then any opportunity we get, we fucking lie. (laughs) No wonder no one knows what Australia is like. We lie. It's a big cultural joke to lie. (laughs) You were talking about that joke. It's like, I think you're just like, you know, what is the uh, saying? Um, fish tales you know like where we tell like stories about the big fish I do Mm -hmm. feel like sometimes when you tell things I'm like is that true (laughs) (laughs) or is that like you're just keeping me away (laughs) no I don't want to keep you away you should definitely visit it's beautiful (laughs) there are like heaps of deadly things that will kill you it's true (laughs) there are bird-eating spiders but yeah. we have it here too. I was uh, I work with a woman who's from who lives in Miami, and um, she was just talking about like kayaking and you know like and I was telling her that when I was really little and I don't know how old I was I was definitely like 
under kindergarten maybe I was like four or five like maybe pre-k we went with my parents to they were they had to go to a conference where Miami went to the Everglades and I vividly remember seeing a snake in the trees Mm -hmm. and being like oh I will never live in Florida (laughs) like have a very strong memory and then they said and I remember the woman saying the Everglades um, is a great place because they have both alligators and crocodiles and I was like I'm out (laughs) Our definition Hard of great pass. place is, is very different. Hard pass. I'm out. <laughs> you two can get eaten when you walk down the street. That's right. That's right. Um, so have you guys been able to see art? We went to, oh my, I can't wait to talk to you about this. This is going to oh, be great. Uh-huh. We went to uh, two design museums last week. Mm. Uh, so we went to the Museum of, like, museum of Design. design. MOCAD, right? MOCAD, yeah. Yeah, like in Columbus Circle? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I just live here. <laughs> um, so we went there, and it was, uh, and we went with my friend Jean from art mm-hmm. school. You know my. my we have to. We have to mention him every episode. <laughs> <laughs> he like pays us. <laughs> JeanTolan.com. Uh, so uh, we went there. And we went to the Smithsonian Design Museum uh, up up the way. Cooper we Hewitt. Yeah, we went for a, a big walk. Um, Wait, you walked from the Mo- from MoCAD to the Cooper Hewitt? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, we're just like, we're Australians, you know? Yeah, I love yeah, it. Do yeah. it. Um, I would have taken a subway or a bus, but that is so cool. Whenever I tell people, like, I remember I walked from Soho to Dumbo, which is like a huge walk, you right? Did. That's like an, yeah, it's like an hour. I, I have once walked a very, very long way once. Like, I was like, I'm doing this, but I'm like really... I had to force myself. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I had just come from lockdown in Australia and um, I was like, oh, freedom. Uh, so I just was like, I'm going to walk everywhere because I can fucking walk everywhere. Um, so I remember when I, I kind of turned up to the event that I was at, I was at um, Photoville and a bunch of people were like, you walked here? You walked here? <laughs> it was really you know, It is actually, if you think about it, it is walk. I mean, there's so many walkable places. I just take I out know. my MTA card. I'm just like, I'm so. It's just, it seems to be. It's cultural. It is. Oh, yeah, I was about to say. But so we were, we were kind of uh, fascinated by, uh, and you're going to love this, the didactic wall panels at the. Uh... Somebody, somebody, nobody has ever said to me, I'm fascinated by the <laughs> My career has finally been for something. <laughs> exactly, this podcast. So uh, 25 years just for where we are right now. Um, so at MoCAD, we were kind of like, huh. Yeah, I've read, I took pictures. I like. I wonder if I still have them. There was a show when I was there last year where I was like, huh, who, do you, who are you writing for? <laughs> no, really. And it was really funny how... Like the typeface was different and designy, and Jean's made major criticism. He was like, "I'm at a BFA grad show." I will say, people have no idea how powerful uh, museum designers are, and they can be yeah. such. The problem for me is they dig their heels in, and their only reason is because it has to look a certain way. They mm. are also the people. If you ever have a complaint about the cuckoo seating you have in museums, it's probably the designer. It could be the director. Hmm. Directors often also um, have an issue with seating. They don't want it to look, they want it to look a certain way. Usually they're, you so know, they're ableist to... is what you're telling me. Well, um, <laughs> I think like I've worked with great designers who are yeah. not actually able. The funny thing is like, I wouldn't say that I've worked with really great human beings who are designers. And I will say that the designers in museums are very human they're very interested in humans. What they have is their training doesn't help them, doesn't enable them to do it in a way that is not ableist. It just made me think of those videos. The design is very human. <laughs> I don't know those. Really? No. Whoa. Okay. That's like in the Neo Dada realm that we just released in one of our last episodes. It's like, oh, I have to look. I send you this bullshit, mm. Laura. Remember how it's, I think he's like Chinese and he makes all these like really weird machines that like, like a toilet that when you flush it, it like brings up knives and chops up the poo. (laughs) It's fucked. So like everything is like kind of a bit weird and wild and kind of like torture chambery. And like, it's always just like, and the design is very human. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Like, so for example, 
you know, I so the one that I saw at Moquette, I can't remember what the show was. Mm. I feel like it was 80s posters. I think it was like 80s music posters or something. Something that like you didn't need. But like the designer's goal is so part of the thing I think that's really hard is that museum designers are supposed to come up with ways to sink back. So the art comes to the forefront, right? Totally. Which or that it it somehow incorporates with it. So they go with design like font that matches the style, like 80s, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it looks good, but they don't think about how um, and they want to brand all these exhibitions because you'd pay for every exhibition. So you'd brand right. every exhibition. Yeah. And so then what ends up happening is that you often decrease the understandable legibility, the the fact that even it's didactics, right? You have to learn which is the didactics. You know, I saw mm -hmm. one of the shows that I thought had the absolute most challenging uh, to read labels was a show about queer fashion. I don't remember what it was called. Museum of, of Fine Art in Boston. It was a good so show, actually. The show was really good. Um, the works, it was fashion, it was beautifully done. But then mm. the labels were like backlit. <laughs> they oh were like, and I was, it was a room was really dark. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do we want everyone to fall? Like, do we want, it's like this <laughs> some sort of like, you know, like where you go into those rooms that are dark so you can understand what it's like to be blind, supposedly. It was like that. Mm. I was like, we, none of us can read in here, I guess. <laughs> May, do you want? Do you think maybe that was the point, or was it just someone's really, really stupid idea? It was really a stupid idea. I'm positive it was a stupid Love idea that. because I think what they were trying. This is what I'm positive it was not that because it, it wouldn't. The show wasn't like <laughs> the show wasn't about like um, blindness. It would have been really mm, like. A, mm. I think that what they do. I think cool idea is exactly what is underlying a lot of museum design when they do labels. Gosh. They're like, it's a cool idea. We or really they're trying that, to like brand we? it. Mm. They're trying to sell it. They're yeah. you know, and and I don't think they mean to be ableist. I just think that they come out of a training, and like every museum yeah. designer I've ever met is really excited about getting people to do it. They just don't know. Like it's like there's like a disconnect. Totally. And that's the thing totally. with the seating. Like I look at um that there's a wonderful person. Is it Carmen? Is her first name Miranda? She's a writer for the LA Times. Mm -hmm. She's the arts writer. And she posted on Twitter pictures of terrible museum seats. <laughs> she did an art, like a newsletter. I think she also put in an article great. about like rating museum seats. Mm. And I was looking at her thing and I was thinking, oh my God, I totally have been in that meeting where they decided on it. <laughs> you know, like, oh, they put that one because like, you know, the round one, they, they only do that in places where that would work. So it'd be like in the 19th century galleries, mm -hmm. this cushy round one. I have absolutely, you know, bought seats. I have bought some of the most uncomfortable most ableist, <laughs> like beautiful seats from Noel. I have bought some like gorgeous seats from Cartel. Like, mm -hmm. I have bought some terrible museum seating over the years. Like if you were, were uncomfortable at many museums in Northeast Ohio, I am sorry. Like, <laughs> I was it's part all of your that. Fault. It's, it's all, all not your all, fault. not all, not all. <laughs> I was part of a group of people, but we because our our um, our charge is to make it so that it is does not um, take away from the art mm. when our charge mm. should be that it makes it better to look at the art that yeah. it makes it more comfortable yeah. Mm. yeah you know spot on spot on but I think that's yeah I mean I I you know I'm part of the problem I guess um but was the show good I mean no <laughs> I, I don't know no no it wasn't bad wasn't what it? about Cooper Hewitt did you see something good um Cooper Hewitt was definitely I would say more like what I expected from the realm of design rather than like mm -hmm. a, a pop art clay sculptural exhibition, uh, which is what we saw at MoCAD. But the Smithsonian had like, I would say stuff that was more in line with what you do. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. Like it was kind of looking at the intersection between politics and design and, and uh, um, I guess. How to like make the world more equitable. Yeah. Design. Yeah. yeah. So it was all about like, like physical architecture, but also like, you know, the design of protest movements and mm. city streets and things like that, that mm -hmm. really, you know, impact, you know, equality and people. And movement through yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. I think they do a great job with their shows. Oh, I really want to, I, I actually contacted their um, PR department. I really want to look at, the, I wanted to um, do a video about the W.E.B. Du Bois show. Oh, yeah. 
Mm. We saw that one at the top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting, that one. Mm. Oh, designing a... through peace. That sounds good. Was that yeah. good? Yeah, it yeah, was. It was good. It was. I had um, the big, like, giant boat sculpture, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, and the uh, seesaw fence from yeah. the U.S.-Mexico border wall yeah, as they well. Had, they, they had, had one, one of the seesaw the installations. Seesaw. You couldn't sit on it, though. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't play Which with it. Which I thought was, like, a real oversight. <laughs> mm. You know what? That's I'm sure it's collection care, right? It's too bad that I'm they sure. didn't make one that you could sit in. I know. Of course, like the problem with interactive spaces in museums is they're not. It's like it would be probably like at Disney if there was something you can't touch. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just not. <laughs> we're like not equipped to handle things. It always mm -hmm. is like a chaos. If something has can be touched, it's like it's like breaking the rules. And then it also makes people touch all the things they weren't supposed to touch. Like mm. it really confuses all all hell. Up. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so the art I saw this week. Yeah, I was about to say, what did you see this week? That I want to talk about was, um, I did. it was this AI photograph. Oh. Did you see this about Sony? Oh my God, I saw that uh, this morning. No, I did not. So um, Sony World Photography Competition had a, I don't know, hold on, let me get back to it. Um, g gave the award to this photograph without my head on it um and really i thought you were a part of it <laughs> well you know ai i could have been and um it's a german photographer and he it's called the electrician it was made in ai and it was mm. in there like it was you know in the sec you know how they have like you know how competitions will have different categories so it was the category that could be any experimental media okay and so it was ai but he didn't like they it was kind of confusing the way they said it like did he disclose it was ai or didn't he mm. but they they said that they thought it opened up an interesting conversation. They gave him the prize. He pulled out. So really? um, yeah, but he just wanted the conversation. And I the reason I bring it up is because I thought it was the first time I've seen something made in AI that I actually thought was visually compelling. <laughs> I was like, oh, that looks like something I would save on a Pinterest board. <laughs> yeah. It like and you know what? They look very like, gay. <laughs> they do. Mm -hmm. But they also, there's like a weird thing happening with the hands. Yeah. So there's like hands at the front. And you're like, whose hands are those? Have you have you seen the pictures of AI trying to render people eating spaghetti? Yes. Oh, no. I oh, want to oh my, okay, oh, my God. Laura. Okay. So, yeah, let's do it. AI people. How do I say the name of the person who runs hyperallergic? Is it her grav? Grav? H G R A V. Sure. He's been doing so. amazing AI, hilarious AI things on his Twitter. <laughs> okay, really? Yeah, he has like very funny ones. Let me see if I can find some of them. Like Easter Bunny buying smack. Oh. Easter Bunny selling smack. <laughs> Also, let's figure out how to say his name. <laughs> uh, we should. So, oh my god, there seems to be like a weird kind of realm of AI, like people eating spaghetti and yeah. their faces are really wild. And I saw a comment on TikTok where someone was like, "Do you think it's because there are so many images of like babies eating spaghetti and laughing and like screaming?" Oh, maybe. And then the machine is just like, "This is whatever it looks like eating spaghetti." <laughs> So weird, right? I love it. Bizarre. I actually have a post of AI stuff that I made through Mid Journey that I have never uploaded because I don't want anyone to steal my idea. <laughs> I know. That's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I love that AI art stuff. Like it's not, I mean, you could have a whole discussion about whether it's art, but I just love the idea of people en masse being able to create something instantly for themselves that they wouldn't yeah. be able to create otherwise. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I do think that's true. I think it harnesses. That's what I was thinking about. I was like, it really harnesses creativity. I did think about the one that I was thinking about is though, I wonder if I responded to it because it's the first time I've seen an AI that felt felt like it was falling into old categories I understood. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it follows a language that you already yeah, understand. Yeah, a language. Because like, I do I'm think like that the ones archetypes. that types. Yeah, the ones that you're, you know, like, like it, I guess it's Rog, 
is according to pronunciation guide for um, hyperallergic. What I think is really interesting about great job. Um, let's hope uh, maybe someday he'll hear this podcast and he could call us and tell us how to say. It. Um, <laughs> I do like to say. It. I don't know, man. I think if I finally like get my shit together and get some videos up on TikTok, why I'm actually gonna start getting some coverage. Yeah, I do too. Um, but um, <laughs> but um, I do like to say people's names correctly. Yeah, of course. But I think that you know what Laura said is true. That the it's to me interesting that that's what hit like something that's an arty one but i think that um the ones that people are just trying things out are fascinating like he just spent like around easter so cool. the easter weekend he was just tweeting like easter buddy does that easter buddy does. and they were actually <laughs> so like weird. i don't awesome. know if i would say that they are i don't know what they are i'm not like gonna play i don't want to get into that but i found them so funny and interesting and it's yeah. like that's a, yeah. a essence of visual communication they were doing it yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm at, right? It's I'm I'm interested in the ways that visual communication is shifting and is growing and expanding and becoming more accessible. Yes, right. It's, it's it's accessibility. I'm trying to see if I can find one. Yeah, and I do wonder if that's one of the reasons that the yes, fine art contemporary art I world totally is like do. up in arms. Yeah, you know, because they're like, oh, anyone can have the ability to render a concept now. It's like, yeah, and that's a good thing like easter bunny hooked <laughs> they're trying to shake people down oh that's God. amazing <laughs> they're so funny oh i think it's just easter bunny like, selling marijuana I'm... i just sorry laura it had to be seen it had to be seen <laughs> amazing amazing but i just love the like the it, it's like it's staring so into this reflection pool yeah. like this immediately yeah. accessible like endless mm. endless infinite yeah. It's like it's like mirrors society. within mirrors yeah. because AI uses everything it knows about people mm -hmm. to create stuff, and then we use everything we know about like how to render, like the language that will make it do the yeah. thing that we want to do. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's but, so weird. But also, it's there's like an element house. of like letting the computer do it, right? So you don't know what it's going to spit out, and so when it does spit out something that you don't expect, or you know, it uses some kind of reference that you weren't anticipating when you you know put it when you put in your specific inputs. And then, and then you just, you, you, you get this picture of, you know, the world that you didn't anticipate and it's mm. just, it's just mind blowing. It is sort of like, it's yeah. like the machine, the machine is sort of magic, mm. right? Like it's giving so, you, it's, it's also de the, it, there's a, it's sort of not unlike TikTok where you have a lack of control. <laughs> So little control. <laughs> so for a TikTok drama, it's like pissing into the wind. <laughs> um, I've definitely, so I've definitely never done that. <laughs> That's a very. I was like, Sorry. I've never said that, nor have I done that. Um, but so to, for this week's um, TikTok drama, I thought we could talk mm. about um, because today we were going to talk to Laura. A bit, you know, you know, her job and visual communications and sort of power mm. um, and the way that we mm. communicate about people, refugees, for example. But I thought we would start my TikTok drama for this week was and I have this happen periodically and I'm always surprised by it. When I bring up a topic, I did a video about the documentary that Jada, Jada Smith, um, I think she produced, um, mm -hmm. where Cleopatra was shown as black. And my video the summary of my video is one she wasn't black she was macedonian um mm -hmm. but there are plenty of black women who you could have done from history instead of cleopatra yeah to which yeah. i received quite a lot of positive comments that yes don't blackwash cleopatra from maga people or people who you know like mm. that kind of thing because they thought that i was somehow which i wasn't i didn't actually care that she was black i cared that they could have done somebody else from history right but their yeah. take was that i was <laughs> against blackwashing and yeah can you believe anne boleyn was black and you know i was like i didn't talk about that that's not what i mean <laughs> mm, mm. and i do oh, and man. i do think that um one of the things to me about tiktok that's a real challenge is that it um it people either don't hear you or mishear you. And it basically is always for people a confirmation bias. No, really. Mm. It's, it's so polarizing mm -hmm. uh, in that way. And it, and you know, as we've talked about before, the algorithm really does feed 
like misinformation mm-hmm. stuff where people are being mm-hmm. corrected or like body slams. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and remember how I told you how like I think one of the most eff- effective things to do when putting out like an educational informational content video is to get one fact wrong. Yes. And watch people spiral. And I tested it and it worked. It works. It and works. And even when I put it in a correction, really, really like works. I didn't even get a fact wrong. Like I'd say Louis the, and I, it wasn't that actually, I knew like when I record, I recorded it and I was like, oh shoot, I'll just put it in the correction on the video. Yeah. On the captions yeah. and like a little. And people, yeah. and people go feral to correct you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. <sighs> What's that about? Is it, is it because you've got this ability just to like, uh, you're wrong I'm gonna tell you and use my little platform and uh. I don't know I really don't I have never really been able to like get to the core of what I think it has, it has to do with like the anonymity mm. right mm. surely but even then like there are people who say really really dumb and fucked up stuff with their whole entire chest <laughs> well um I do think yeah I don't know I mean I think that it, to me it Yes, I think it's the anonymity is part of it. Um, I also think like it's about feeling like I'm better than them. Mm. I got something on you. I have yeah. so many people who are constantly yeah. correcting me. Are they same? Just, is it the same people no. or just like um, random people? No, no, no. It's men yeah. usually though, right? <laughs> it is. It is men. Um, I did have um, somebody tell me how ugly. Did, we talked about this last week, but I have a lot of uglies. People talking about ugly. We had a whole episode of male gaze last week. I had that. But usually it's things like you don't realize. Oh, I did one about. um, So after the Cleopatra one, somebody said, thought I was like against blackwashing. And I was like, I don't believe in blackwashing. I think like putting black, like Mm. it's fictional. It was for me. It was just that I wanted her to use different stories. Right. That was my point. Yeah. But like it's all yeah. fiction in the end. So use any person you want. We don't know what Cleopatra looked like. Um, well, we mm-hmm. sort of do, but who knows? And um, so I said, well, you know, like Jesus also didn't look like these images. I don't particularly care. And so I did a video about that. And then mm. somebody posted, it's just because you hate white guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, I don't even know how you got that. Like, I didn't say it was negative or positive. I'm just showing you art history, like the, <laughs> the trajectory of art history of Christian art. Like... <laughs> But also, like, if any, if ever there was a time to just like drag Joe into a TikTok and be like, I hate them I do, so I much. Do, I hate them. They do. <laughs> they do the dishes. <laughs> um, uh, but it's just like so. Make your white man work for That's you. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, we were, uh, we were talking about like what's everyone's favorite holiday recently. And so mm-hmm. around here, it's the volley. And Joe was like, I was outvoted. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah. So what did you have um, TikTok drama this week? I was about to say, I, I don't know if I really had TikTok drama this Congrats. week. It's more just me responding to, <laughs> thank you. Well, it's because I've been, I've been like putting my head in the uh, sand a bit in terms of social media because I just wanted to like hang out. Um, and also because we've been overhauling my entire space. Laura has a, has like a, Another Shant. thing that she's for interior oh, design. <laughs> yes, for interior. You're dickhead. I know. Uh, for interior design. Uh, so she's just been making my space like very chaos friendly, <laughs> um, as I am. No, I'm like a chaos tornado machine. coming through a space, uh, <laughs> especially when things don't have like a designated space. But I will say, I did have that dude because I made that video. Um, about like photographic methodology and you know who was like no I don't think a contact print and a relief print are the same thing and I was just like well you're a bit of a tool aren't you like you got to take these restrictions off methodology I was more I was nicer about it and I was just like you know so I think his I find that happens so often like I remember once <laughs> working with a curator who didn't um believe like somebody some teacher in a lesson plan had said that bronze casting and fossil making are in some ways the same thing where you have a void that is filled with media and she was like no they're absolutely different and i was like oh it's all printmaking so what you're saying is that your frame of reference is the one that matters and this person who's trying to make it accessible doesn't matter you could say Mm -hmm. like the, the 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 thing that both of like both of those examples yours and then this woman um is that the level of same, right? 
like similar mm. there's sim maybe we should have said similar maybe you should have said similar but like you know same sure. the, like the how same they are right so like somehow mm. we're okay with like we're all you know like this is like humans we're all the same we say that right we're mm -hmm. if we decided to use that metric that guy did we're not all the same exactly right? like no then that that saying is wrong people are all the same nope mm. <laughs> nope that saying would be wrong it's because it's the level mm. of same i also think there's some kind of especially in photo yes. right there's it just brings out elitism yes. in people that i don't think other methodologies do right. and printmaking don't too. printmaking like if you... well they're well well here i go again they're one yeah, in the same yeah, yeah. watch me set the it's internet because... on fire again <laughs> fuck sakes i think it's because <laughs> the technique for a lot of people, the technique is what they feel like is their art. Mm -hmm. Right? So like the mastering the it. technique is what may sets them yeah. apart from someone else. I'm going to look, I'm going to do that thing where I sound a little bit obnoxious. Like my thing is like, I just worked on like the content that I cared about and the technique just came around yeah. it. Yeah. Like I was, I've said it before, like I had a knack for the process and what I do but like my focus has never been to master the process because I just I don't see why that's gonna serve like that mentality is gonna serve me more than just kind of coming at it with a consistent idea of exploration and play mm -hmm. um and I think there's something I don't know there's just like an elitism mm -hmm. about Especially mm -hmm. those like old photographic processes, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, it's so inaccessible. Mm -hmm. It's so hard, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, is it? Mm -hmm. I think that's true about some printmaking too. I yeah. think that some, I, I don't, I, I, I know more probably printmakers than photographers. I don't know, maybe about the same. I, but I do think that um, some, sometimes processes, I think you have, when you work in a really process-based media, you have to choose to be open. Like you have to choose to say that this isn't like, I'm not God's gift to lithography, photography or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, like I, mm -hmm. you have to choose to want to be into it. Like letting other people yeah. in, I should say. Do you think it's also because the process or people's process is like the thing that they think yes. sets them apart yes. from other artists. Like my process is yes. different or I've developed And this that's why they gatekeep yes. their methodologies. Because totally. they're like, that's, that's, that's everything that I know that makes me special. That's right. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's interesting. I did a show, I curated a show years ago now, but about um, techniques and artists who um, have interesting techniques and like showing the tool mm. that the artist used along with the technique. And I was trying to find interesting techniques like um, uh, there's like a photo lithography that only happens in Eastern Europe, in uh, East Berlin. And um, this really, there's this amazing um, lithographer uh, from Cleveland named Rebecca Wilhelm who was part of that show and it's it's interesting because she was like she was like explaining it we did all we asked everyone to talk about their process on videos and um we chose people who were open and she was like you know like it's for her it is not what sets her apart it's the ideas and like these yeah. um lithographs that she did were they were she wrote hand wrote things and then um printed them with the lithograph so they're like handwriting yeah. printed handwriting you know what i'm saying like it's like this yeah. sort of uh, it's into it's an intellectual sort of uh play on media right and yeah. um but i think that that when you think about things like that it's the artist choosing to open up their process right like that is it was very mm. like i can't even quite like she was telling us about this process and i was like Huh, I can't even exactly wrap my mind around it. I can intellect I can hear what you're saying and I like kind of, you know, you know, say that it's a photographic lithographic process, but like I still am like, huh? East Berlin, what? Like, you know, like, and I mm -hmm. think that when the process is harder to describe, it also probably they get into like a kind of a rut, right? Like where they can't explain it. And so why explain it? And then, you know, yeah. like there's also that. So Get me. I'm doing a segue. Um, mm. I'm bad at them. So the, the idea of borders, 
Do you think that the way it functions in the art world is reflective and is a direct mirror of how borders function, like politically, geographically? I don't know. I mean, I think it's maybe not a direct function. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. What do you think, Laura? You work with borders a lot more than I do. Yeah. Um, I think about borders all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. That's why I was like, <gasps> restrictions and borders, I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> I mean, like, I think a lot of people um, who, you know, don't work in the area or don't, don't think about it a lot, don't, don't think about like, like what is a border? Mm. Like a border doesn't actually exist. Like, you know, Australia, you know, somewhere like Australia is a bit different because it's an island, but even then, like the, the, there's no physical right. demarcation of, mm. of what a border is. Everything that we have nominated to, to be an identifier of a border is something that's completely made up. And something that I think about a lot of the time is that a lot of the things that construct a border are, are, are laws, which are just, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. words written on a piece of paper that everybody starts believing. Um, and it's, you know, to, to, to protect and, and to control, you know, resources within a particular area. And, you know, it kind of links to what we were talking about just then. It's all about, you know, protecting and gatekeeping, mm -hmm. you know, your particular little piece of the world mm. um, and your land ownership. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then creating all these structures around it that then, you know, reinforce it and protect mm. it even further. You really need to read uh, Ariella Azalea. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to get Laura to read the civil contract of photography, mm. um, which is, you know, kind of the whole idea that citizenship kind of arrived uh, through a lot of visual mm. media and through photography and well that's where passports came yeah. from right like that whole practice of eugenics yeah. and categorizing people yeah. in the 19th century it then morphed into like criminaliz yeah. criminalization and then how people moved through space and how they were identified in space which then led to the idea of people needing to be marked from a certain place and have a little piece of paper that identifies them so they can go through quote unquote borders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that they t go through a border because I think about like I, um, the state of Ohio has an aquatic border with Canada, right? And you can mm. sail to Canada and you can sail like, you know, we always, we, you could, I've sailed to Canada and um, you, uh, you, you don't go like, uh, you can go across, but you usually go like, you know, closer to the land, but on mm -hmm. um, a sail ship anyway. But there's nothing in the middle of the lake. Like, it's not, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I, I guess I've never noticed anything, but it's just this big old lake, right? Or there's yeah. parts of Canada I've crossed over, um, like very small sit towns where like half of the town is in Canada, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, um, as somebody who has always lived sort of on the border of Canada and even growing up, like when I was a kid, we would go to Canada all the time, Yeah, you yeah. know, and it, it definitely feels different. Like I always have thought like when I was, even when I was younger, like you'd pass the border and everything I've always thought of Canada and U.S. as like twins, you know, separated at birth. Kind of and... like New Zealand, you can, cause we can kind of go interchangeably and live interchangeably between Australia oh, and can. New Zealand. We can't yeah. live interchangeably. I wish we could, but yeah. But it feels, doesn't it feel like, must be, it like feels like you're like, oh, we're sort of like related. Yeah. And you know yeah. something has changed, but there's not necessarily like a physical border. I mean, yes, like there's border checkpoints at bigger cities and stuff, but you can just literally go across. Yeah. Am I like going to be like, is, <laughs> is ice going to come in? Actually, the last time we went um, to see my cousin, we told my dad to like clear his phone. Mm because we are brown like it makes me nervous yeah. every no, time i get it i get it like I, I would probably be doing the same thing not when i was a kid but now who knows but no, to me man. one of the things i think that i was thinking about when we were talking about having laura on is mm -hmm. the way that we visualize things like borders yes. so you were um at that sh you were talking about that artwork from cooper hewitt mm -hmm. i feel like not everyone knows about that the swing artwork. I wanted to wait till we talked about the deep thought. Oh, the seesaw. Yeah, tell us about the seesaw. Yeah, Laura, you want to take it away? 
Yeah, so um, I don't know any of the details about this, but um, there was... Do you want me to look up the name of the artist? Yeah, that would be really, really helpful. Um, but this wonderful, fantastic, very You're intelligent good sister. person... <laughs> um, basically uh, found a point along the um, US-Mexico border. And you know how it's like not a... It's not a full, you know, wall. It's like permeable and you can kind of... It's, um, like, a, it's like a big The fence. most useful kind of wall. It has holes in yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> permeable. permeable. Not, so it's not it's permeable like big enough for beams. a human. But, no, um, I know. You can, I get, know. <laughs> you can get like this, you know... It's like a picket fence. There's gaps between yeah. the pillars. And this artist put these like pink seesaws made out of steel um, that would thread through the wall. Um, and you know you had people from either side coming and you know playing and it was mostly kids and and families and you know usually moms mm -hmm. and um it kind of totally changed the the vibe and the landscape it turned it into one of play rather than just being um you know this big division in the land mm -hmm. would you and, like to say the artist's name oh uh, ronald rael mm -hmm. yeah professor of architecture at the university of california berkeley mm. It's, you know, it's interesting to me about um, years ago, I did a, I was in college, I did a dinosaur dig at Big Bend National Park. Sorry. I didn't personally, I was, sorry, I didn't head it. I was one of the diggers. Mm -hmm. And um, we were, it was like on the Rio Grande. And so we walked across, you can walk across to Mexico. Um, mm -hmm. You like walk across and you're in Mexico because the river is the thing, but there's no, mm -hmm. like, then there's a cliff. So it's not like I'm entering, Me but I like, you know, went swimming and illegally walked into Mexico and came back and it was fine. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't, I have a lot of family and friends in California. And so I have driven to TJ a million times. And, um, you know, the thing ab about it is that the wall, the, that these borders, in some ways, borders function best when people are kind of okay with them being permeable. Mm. I think that's 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 really correct. Um, like you, if you actually look at the movement of people and you actually look at how borders function, they're completely permeable all the time. Like you actually need humans moving across them. You yeah. need goods moving across them. Yeah, goods and services. Yeah, and and that's you know pe people have always moved around and mm. like you know I, I think you know borders borders function because you've got things moving if you didn't if you didn't have things moving then there wouldn't be a border like you actually need the yeah, things the concept moving wouldn't really exist in order to create the, yeah the boundaries that's really of interesting what the border is mm. wait can i say that again that's really true that if things didn't you, move you wouldn't need a boundary yeah mm. or that's like it's 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 the movement of things that actually defines where the border is and it's and it's always done in a negative right you can't so have like, like a force without resistance yeah but it's like only citizens can come through yeah. this border we, yeah. we have a free trade agreement with this country and that's that's yeah. what can can come through or you know people who hold ex-citizenship can't come through i think that to me one of the things that you're saying so you're talking about you know moving goods um across borders is that it's also interesting that a lot of that is invisible to most mm -hmm. people, right? The amount of movement of things, we don't usually see it. Like we only see it if like the Suez Canal, a boat gets stuck. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think that, you know, for, during COVID, that was something that became really, borders became really visible, not only because we, you know, halted the migration of people, but also because, um, you know, shipping lanes got, you know, um clogged up and delayed and people you know for the first time started under you know those those borders those, started to affect their lives but, but also mm -hmm. the the transfer of people and the transfer of goods between borders became this really tangible thing mm. in people's daily life where it hadn't mm -hmm. been before mm. yeah absolutely in the u.s i felt like one the first time i ever understood that we live in a federal I, I really, it was palpable to me that we are not, we're in a federal nation and mm. that each state makes different decisions because for example, the state of Ohio was really good for a hot minute. I don't know. I don't know. Mike Devine finally, you know, ate his Wheaties or something and we <laughs> halted our borders, but the state of Ohio happens to be hold like two of the main freeways. And so mm. all of these goods just froze at New York mm. or, you know, or at uh, Pennsylvania or vice versa, Indiana, you know, like things were just stalled for a moment. Mm. 
And, you know, I'm like 40, 40, 40 minutes from Pennsylvania's border. So like, it was really interesting to think like, I can't go right there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like I'm, you know, dying to go there anyway, but (laughs) rural Pennsylvania is okay. But, um, but I think that for a lot of Americans, that's another part of borders that we never look at. And like the visual, finally, I do think that one of the things I keep thinking about your work is that your work is so intellectual. And for us who are not in the like in those roles, we end up hearing, seeing it in very skewed and biased ways. Mm. The visuals that we see like of borders are things like the U.S.-Mexico border. Mm or illegal border passings. And they're always mm. a certain kind of illegal border passing. It's not like a guy, you know, cause like one of the used to be like in the, you know, in the, like the 2000s, let's say, um, one of the biggest groups of illegal immigrants were like Irish people who jumped there before the Irish, you know, before yeah. like it must've been the nineties before their economy boomed, Irish people who jumped their, um, you know, <laughs> their like tourist visa and stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't showing them that the picture of like the illegal awesome. migrant, the illegal refugee um, was not them. This is something that I've always kind of thought about Australia's kind of, you know, visa and refugee and immigration stuff like, you know, the people who are fucking up the policies of, you know, migrating to Australia. It's never the European who's overstayed mm. their visa, who's hiding on some fucking farm picking berries. <laughs> it's always like someone from Syria like mm-hmm. it someone who arrived on a boat like it's boat people yeah oh, the boat that's people. like a yeah the poor you yeah. know like I feel like those poor like the, the 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 vision of a boat person I find it so interesting here in the U.S. um I think it's interesting because like we we love our pilgrims right like <laughs> they showed up mm-hmm. on a boat we love you know mm-hmm. Christopher Columbus he showed up on a boat but then like the people from um, and I think when I was a kid in the 80s, the, the Cubans who were being, you know, coming like on like bathtubs and stuff because they were they were largely white. We were really into them, too. Like we're going to see those mm. poor Cubans. Right. But. The boat people. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, I think borders like also allow like people to believe that there's a right way and a wrong way to come through yeah. a border yeah and that there's a right time mm. to come through a border mm-hmm. so you know if you um a moral way yeah to cross yeah. a border yeah. Yeah. yeah there's there's all this stuff that's that's bound bound up and um you know i think mm. it's really interesting in australia because we've obviously had like you know waves and waves of, of of migrants and quite um you know big waves and quite defined waves that are driven by um external happenings you know in 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 the world um and we have you know obviously the og boat people captain cook et al um who um came and um decided to that be the episode title captain cook et al no og boat people (laughs) og boat people yeah that's a great idea yeah but you know we like everybody save for us you know save for first peoples and first nations people came to australia on a fucking boat on a boat (laughs) until planes existed everybody Mm -hmm. came but like um everybody has come by boat and Mm -hmm. you know the og boat people they 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 have now ownership and the the means to say we the time that we came was the correct time. Mm. Anybody who's you know come mm-hmm. since that time is is mm-hmm. is, a, is a migrant is <laughs> yes. is somebody that it's we okay are, for us. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. We 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 were the we were the first boat people. We set it all up. We we defined those borders, so we get to decide when and how people come. And there's this really um, interest. You know, there's this really um, pivotal. Um, that shit speech that one of our um, prime ministers gave when um, it was after the 2001 um, September 11 attacks. Mm-hmm. And when Australia in response was really tightening borders and, you oh. know, we stopped letting people from Afghanistan and oh. Iran and places through. And he gave a speech and said, you know, we will determine um, who comes to 
our country and in, in, in the in the way in which they will come. I remember this. Um, and it was this really pivotal um, moment that really set the tone for Australia's refugee policy. Like since then, like before that, we actually had quite a a more open approach to mm. refugees, yeah. particularly like after Vietnam War. Like we mm. had we oh, allowed like sure. fifty thousand. Um, Vietnamese migrants to resettle and even our conservative governments were quite you know you, more uh, equitable with like kind of not not equitable but there was like it was just like yeah yeah Australia was a participant in that war mm-hmm. and so we could see the direct correlation between people fleeing Vietnam and us having been there but I think you know other times like when you know Australia has been involved in the war in Afghanistan or um, you know anything like that it's it's so much it's so much further away and and I think um, it's allowed us to kind of just build up that wall further mm, and further mm-hmm. and that's something that I've I've said to you before Seema right is that like Australia like especially white Australia and the national identity of white Australia does not understand itself to be in the Asia Pacific like people mm. do not realize they are closer to China than America Mm-hmm. and like they like and yeah. like you know I've spoken yeah. to you about this like growing up as yeah. well like that is just not something that is like a part of our understanding of where we yeah. are in the educational system that yeah. that's not what they tell us mm. it's about settlement yeah it's about yeah. whiteness coming and being in this space and being like and you learn French and German you don't yeah. learn Indonesian I think that's oh yeah now, or Chinese but, yeah, um, yeah exactly I also think you know I'm thinking about like the stories of the OG boat people <laughs> Uh, that it's also how you it's exactly right you're constructing this national identity based on them but even the visuals of them like you think of here ROG like you know you think of Plymouth and I think of these pictures of like them standing at Plymouth Rock or you know like they have chosen it's like this agency to choose how they're depicted whereas Mm -hmm. um I think for a lot of people who are living in the U.S. anyway, our conception of what a uh, illegal immigrant is is an image that's been taken against that mu- immigrants. You know, like they weren't, they didn't choose to be in the news. Really? No. And this is where, like, my absolute bender of talking about photographic ethics starts, like, you know, being lit up mm-hmm. because there are ways of representing people that are entirely based on your perception and like imaginative understanding of that person and that culture and what you're looking at. And so much of what we see is constructed through a white nationalist, Christian nationalist gaze in terms of people of color and, you know, other First Nations communities and the idea of refugees. Like it's like, yeah, as a concept, yeah. of bad, right? immoral people because they couldn't fuck them for wanting to leave the countries that we blew up <laughs> and seeking some kind of asylum. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how much more quickly we mobilize to have Ukrainian refugees. Now, I will say that oh, uh, no. I'm happy to say I live in a city that has hosted refugees for quite a long time. So we had a lot of Syrian refugees as well. So I don't. I wouldn't say that like it's all it's. I think that nationally, we definitely have, we don't mm. like a refugee unless you're white. I do think yeah. there are places in the world that that is untrue. Um, uh, but those are also places, I also think it's one of those things like here in Cleveland, Syri- there there are a lot of people who are ethnically Syrian. And so to picture mm. a Syrian refugee would be picturing somebody you know. Similarly, there's a lot of people who are ethnically Ukrainian. So we had a lot of Ukrainian refugees. Mm-hmm. And I think that this goes back to the power of the image. So if you say you're OG boat people, right, we know what our, all of us know what the OG boat people, we learn about them in school. Yeah. And those are images like here, colonial portraits, right? Those are mm-hmm. chosen mm-hmm. images. Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm just going to loop it back to our discussion on AI because yeah. um, Ooh. I, yeah. you want to be, you want to be a, a regular co-host? <laughs> So I saw on TikTok of all places, um, this person who inputted into AI and was like, what if we had all these billionaires looking like refugees, looking like boat people, looking like poor people? And so it had like, you know, Trump, it had Elon Musk, like in, you know, uh, rags, yeah, like a pillowcase, rags, looking like an Oxfam poster. Yeah, of course. And it was like so jarring seeing like a white man 
in that situation i was like oh my god what the hell isn't that interesting but I was just go like, ai, AI. <laughs> that's fascinating yeah. that is fascinating and then you tweeted it and then elon musk cut it out <laughs> exactly. he was like no you hurt his feelings yeah. no i don't want i mean he is a migrant see this is the thing he's a migrant right like he is an og boat person to africa and then he is yeah He's a migrant. I mean, I think this is where visuals are so manipulable too, right? That we call, it's like the word um, emigre. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just like white migrants? So no, that's expat. You can be an expatriate as a white person, never an immigrant. And that was something that I like when I moved and I immigrated, I started like looking at the kind of language that especially going to a school where there were people from you know lots of different parts of the world it was not any person of color that was referring to themselves as an expat and i was just like oh oh i see it's a money and class thing right totally like expat um migrant refugee (laughs) yeah and so that's when they're all just people who are crossing borders right exactly they're all just people yeah so we usually like to sort of wrap things up on our deep thought segment by something like summarizing it. So Laura, I feel like if you were saying to somebody, um, you're going to look at the news, you're going to look at a visual about a border. Is there like something that they should remember or they, that would help them be less biased? I don't know if there's something that would help them be less biased, but I think One of the most powerful images about borders that I encounter in Australia is the map of um, First Nations um, communities across Australia. Mm -hmm. And it's this beautiful, colourful map. um, Like hundreds of language groups. Yeah, there's like 200 different groups across the country. Mm -hmm. And you're so used to seeing Australia with these other... Six fucking states. Six, seven, however many states and territories there are. Um, But that 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 image which thankfully is getting you know a lot more traction a lot more traction and 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 particularly since the black lives matter movement and the flow-on effects of people understanding race relations more in america people are understanding them more in australia and so the image is is getting out further but those are literally the first human borders that ever Mm. existed um indigenous culture it's the oldest surviving culture mm-hmm. in the world that's that's literally the oldest version of what we have about how humans organize themselves between borders mm-hmm. and but what you also had that existed at that time with those borders was the free movement of people there were mm-hmm. other ways right. aside from passports, they were permeable. aside from fences that yeah that were permeable and mm. they were permeable because people knew that in order for one community to survive you needed to engage with all the other ones Mm. around you it Mm. wasn't it was that it wasn't that like you know our particular area of land we need to protect it we've got all the resources that that there's an inherent acknowledgement that yeah just because you that the area that you live in is not going to be able to sustain you entirely you're going to need to share all of those resources Mm. and for me i think everything that I am learning kind of comes back to first first nations communities and 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 principles and governance. in Australia and, and what they yeah the governance structures that they set up like like all of that existed for like minimum 60,000 years before mm-hmm. we even had Egyptians on the scene <laughs> yeah you know mm-hmm. like these are this is literally the oldest way and the mm. most sustainable way that people organize themselves hmm. and i think and that, organize themselves in relationship to land yeah absolutely and like, each not other just, right land yeah. and each other yeah. yeah yeah because because actually in in first nations kind of uh you know belief systems like systems systems and like yeah. understanding people and land are the same thing mm-hmm. there's no there's no uh, separation like we uh, are of landscape in the way that landscape is of us and this is actually mm-hmm. something that i wrote about my thesis works Mm. is that photography actually shows us the ways that we're permeable with the world around us Mm. um Mm. and it shows us how like the way we see kind of you know is permeable and kind of overlays itself over the world Mm. Mm. um and there really is no separation Mm. um between like who we are and the space that we're in Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There's no border, thing. you might say. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like this End is scene. <laughs> but this is also something that goes down to like on a cellular level for us is that our cells and our cell walls are permeable mm-hmm. because that's like what we mm-hmm. need in order for that's the first thing i thought actually about cell walls me too me too when you were talking about when laura's talking about the border i was like oh that's interesting it's just like that well because that's actually i had a therapist once who like really sat me down and took me through this idea of permeability and was like you don't have to hold on to stuff you actually are built Mm -hmm. to let things come Mm -hmm. and go out like in and out of you the skin is permeable Yeah. yeah and like i think that one of the best ways to kind of understand a lot of the really, really complex stuff that we look at is to just kind of see how we function mm-hmm. in time and space. And you can actually kind of see like what we need to be doing in order to foster the world that we live in. And it's it's permeability. Mm-hmm. It's like a shared space and sense mm-hmm. of understanding. Like mm-hmm. it's I think the shared sense of understanding to go back to images I do mm. think images can be powerful to give you a shared space, sense of understanding. But the yeah. problem is that so many of the images we have about migrants and refugees um, and expats uh, uh, from are From people like biased. Steve fucking Macari. Yeah, like they're biased. I... And so I think to me that the thing that's really hard is that they don't actually create shared understanding because the it's predicated on a misunderstanding sometimes. Well, that's why I think, and this is like a call to action for any photographer pals out there, hand your camera over. Yeah. Like allow people to tell their own story. And if you think that there's a story that's important to hear, figure out how you can get someone else funding rather than getting your own fucking Guggenheim fellowship. Mm -hmm. Like let's not Dorothy Mm -hmm. Lang our way through like this next era of like talking to people about you know, being in different class and socioeconomic communities with us. And instead of just breezing into those spaces, representing people in a way that we think is artistic and tells a story when it fundamentally fucks up someone's life. And maybe like, tells the wrong story. The um, wrong story. So speaking of stories, uh, to end with media <laughs> recommendations, I have one mm. that you will uh, love is not the word. Um, so it's <laughs> Mary Coin by Marissa Silver. And it's a fictionalization of it was a fic, it's a fictional story imagining uh, the taking of the, the encounter. Like, yeah, oh, the encounter no, of the migrant mother of the migrant mother. So I'm reading it because my, my daughter's reading it for school. So I'm reading it with her. I try ah, to read the books they read. Okay. And um, it's really fascinating to um, to read to it's fascinating because it takes place in like there's like multiple people. So the it's the 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 migrant uh, pea picker is one of the characters. But then there's also like the art historian who goes back and finds the historian actually who goes back and finds her and then Dorothea Lange mm. and then there's all these other people. And it's fascinating because it tells one thing it does do is humanize all of them. Mm-hmm. However, it and it does bring up this issue of how pernicious photography was at the time. So I, I love the word pernicious. Um, it's so good. Our mum once went on TV and called the prime minister at the time pernicious. <laughs> That's a great claim to fame. Yeah, she loves she loves being uh, yeah. semi recognizable on local TV. Rabble rouses. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, but it's no, it's true. I think that. Um, it was especially an era where that idea of kind of being an itinerant explorer and kind of like having an ownership to land and living in a borderless way and going and being like, oh, look at the poor people in the dust bowl. Oh, isn't that, oh, I'm going to go back to my wealthy little corner and develop my photos because I'm a rich kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, Though, you know, my daughter and I were talking about, the one thing that is interesting is that though – it did um space in the west at the time was closer to what we're talking about permeable right like mm. you you know oklahoma a lot of those states weren't as border restricted as they are now like you don't have yeah now i think people because we've moved to be with people like us politically there are different kinds of intellectual borders than there were then that's so true that's so true mm-hmm. so what are your media recommendations for this week um, I actually have a recommendation through my sister that she's uh-huh. been giving me. 
the oddest's way. Ooh. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure some of your listeners would be very interested. Um, but there's this woman, Julia Cameron, who um, was an artist mm-hmm. and she... I wonder if her parents named her after Julia Margaret Cameron, actually. Yeah, sure. Um, but this this book, I think, was written in like the early 90s and, you know, she's a white middle, middle class woman, but she worked for a living as a, as a writer mm. and she could only... Um, you know, successfully write for her job after she'd had a couple of wines and she got to, yeah, drinking. <laughs> and she got to a point where um, she was like, I, I, I need to decouple my alcohol from my writing and my creativity. And so she went on this journey of understanding creativity and how humans create and um, explored what all of, you know, the masters had had said about creativity but also you know people who 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 weren't masters like people who were psychologists and politicians and um she developed this 12-week course to support artists to work through their creative blocks and to basically become unstuck and to really and she's got and it's this presentation it's this you know exploration of what what creativity is and um and and encouraging people to create from a place of play rather than you know trying to um create work or something academically artistic process yeah 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 (laughs) um just just exploring and creating through play um and yeah it's this it's this really great supported um 12-week um course and um you know, it's kind of this like the secret, um, the secret book that gets passed around secret between source. between artists and um, yeah, it's and I'm you know doing this twelve week course at the moment um, and it's yeah, it's 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 a really good way to kind of come back to your inner child, your inner your inner artist within, and um, yeah, like kind of recenter yourself a little bit and um, yeah. And to that end, I am photographing Laura as a fairy this week. Ooh, (laughs) cool! Did Laura pick what she was going to do? Yeah, I we we had this coloring book um, when we were series of coloring books when we were kids with all these fairies who were in different. um, They had their own little worlds. Yeah, and um, we're gonna dress me up as a woodland fairy in a little circle of mushrooms you want to grab a mushroom show see oh yeah hold on we've been making mushrooms <laughs> we've been uh back in the prop making zone or well, i have i guess you've been joining me uh and out of tube and foil and paper clay that's that's awesome. That's going to be such an awesome photograph. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can bring it back at a future episode. We and will. if we will. you subscribe to us, you will get to hear about it. Or if you yes. donate, maybe we will even talk to you about it in person. Because when come if you Patreon. donate one, $1 a month, you become our buddy and we come become your friend. Exactly. So be sure to follow us at Artlast Podcast. If you have topics, which I really need to get up and running this month, if you have topic suggestions, feedback, sponsorship offers, or just want to say hi, you can email us at artlastpodcast at gmail.com. We've got a couple of emails we're going to be covering in the next episode. You can follow Seema at artlust, A-R-T-L-U-S-T. And you can follow me, Sophie, at darkroomvarmin, V-A-R-M-I-N-T. And you can follow Laura. Uh, nowhere, because I'm a bureaucrat and we're not allowed to post things online. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Have it. Borders once again. Thanks for listening. Bye. Have a good day.